0: Welcome to Healthy Perspectives with Jeremiah, a podcast that brings you current social and cultural issues through a clinical lens. Hello, hello, welcome back. And for those of you who join us for the first time, welcome. I am about to take you on a little adventure. I am going to propose that oftentimes our greatest struggle is the fight against becoming what we're fighting against. I know that's a lot to, to take in, but let me, let me tell you, I was talking to somebody this week. <clears throat> they brought up the terminology bigotry. Right. Bigotry is pretty self-explanatory. You know, it's unreasonable attachment to a belief uh, that, uh, you know, in a particular prejudice against something like it's it's basically saying, I don't like this because that is wrong. Socially unacceptable, morally incorrect. And. The unfortunate reality of that is that it's based on membership or, uh, uh, or participation in a particular group. Well, as I was wrestling with this with a, a, a person that I worked with, I started to think about this. Like, what is the biggest problem that a bigot in, like ends up, or not a bigot, a person who hates bigotry ends up with? that would be that they become the bigot. And then I started going down the pathway. Well, let's take a look at, you know, I've worked with a lot of people who have relationships with people who are narcissistic. And what, here's the irony of that one, because it plays a similar role. And narcissist uh, or a, a person who encounters narcissism often, says, well, once they've labeled it as narcissism, well, I am, you know, at least I'm not that. In other words, the solution is to become the one who is superior. Hmm. So if you fight against narcissism, you risk becoming a narcissist. If you fight against bigotry, you risk becoming the bigot. Well, I started going down that path and I was like, huh, how does this play out and say like the trans movement that's going on right now? Well, that essentially, I think, would be I'm against uh, judgment, uh, you know, that that idea that that, you know, one person is better than another. And so what ends up happening? A person becomes judgmental. Now I say all of that because what I want to outline today therapeutically is if one of our greatest risks is to become that which we fight against, does that, like, how do I do that? How do I, you know, because like, I'm never going to be a narcissist. And I think, I think here's, here's where it, it goes. I think at first we have to acknowledge that we are capable of really bad crap and that we just might be the problem. You might be the problem. How you go about things then matters. So, how do you fight against bigotry? If you do it in a way in which you are the superior one, then inherently you're going to create a new bigotry. And I was tying this into some of the other podcasts that I have done. And I know this is like probably tough to hear, partly because it's going to hit home hard, but partly because it sounds confusing. To become what we fight against? No, no. I am anti this. I am not ever... I I am for autonomy. The right to choose our own path. And yet, to know that one of our biggest downfalls would be, what do you do in those circumstances where you cannot support autonomy? Like, for instance mass shootings, you know, that person has the right to choose their path, except when? I mean, do they have the right to shoot all those people? The answer is clearly no. And yet we fight like crazy for people to have autonomy. Therapists live in this gray space, this space in between the, the, you know, the, the one side and the other. We, we tend not to live on the extremes. Now, that's not true for all therapists. I'm not going to lie. There's a very, very opinionated therapist. Uh, matter of fact, I'm not going to lie either. I am a very opinionated therapist. I work really hard. And I have to stay constantly diligent not to put my opinions onto somebody else uh, It's that we call it counter transference. It's not my opinion that is superior. I don't live your life and yet I can't dismiss that I was a person before I was a therapist i I, I was I was I know, it's hard to believe, right? When you, when you go see your therapist, you're like, you know, you've probably just been this your whole life. But no, they, they were a struggling kid and a struggling teen, or they were a, a teen with privilege or a kid with privilege, whatever the case might be. They had a story before they were a counselor. That being said, how do we fight the fight in a manner that allows us to not become the problem we are fighting against? In other words, become judgmental. Become superior in our thought. Like, I am the best. I am, or I'm at least better than fill in the blank. Um, or... How do we fight narcissism without becoming a narcissist? Well, I can never become a narcissist because I have too much empathy. Uh, yeah, you could. I sometimes will tell clients this this story, and i'm I'm hoping that it it hits home for some of you, many of you, all of you. I mean, obviously an ideal world. I, you know, I would appeal to everybody, but that's clearly just not an ideal world because it's not my world, um, which would be my ideal world and probably not yours, let's be real. Uh, but I tell, I tell this story about being 17 years old and going into the military. I'm literally 17 years old down in San Diego, California at MCRD San Diego uh, with a whole bunch of grownups, right? Like I'm a 17 year old kid and I'm learning to uh, kill. Like honestly, at the end of the day that they taught me that they taught me how to hunt and kill people. They taught me how to overcome obstacles they taught me a lot of things. Uh, many, of it, many of the things that they taught me were, were great. Some, not so great. And when I talk about becoming that which you're fighting against, the reason this story matters, and I hope it impacts you in some way, is because I cannot forget that I am capable of killing. I can't forget that. Well, I can, I can try to push it out of my memory. Like you try to push out your trauma or you try to push out, you know, whatever you, you push these. you attempt to push these things out of your life. But here's the risk of doing that. If you forget these things, then the question becomes how long until you do those things, right? How long until I kill if I try really, really hard to forget that I'm capable? I propose to you that the model that's the in, in terms of process, the model that that is going to be the um, the wisest or one of the wiser paths is actually remember. Remember you're capable of really bad things. Remember you're capable of passing judgment. Remember you're capable of having a mentality of superiority. Remember you are capable of taking on the victim mentality in order to get what you think your needs are met. Remember, don't forget. It's like when somebody passes away, don't forget. You don't want to forget them. You want to remember them. You want to remember all the negative things that could be about you. Now, you have to balance that. Now, in this model, right, you have to balance that with what? The idea that that doesn't have to be you now. Just because I'm capable of killing, the Marine Corps made sure I was taught that. Just because I'm capable, it doesn't mean I have to do it. I could choose a different path. Now, if I forget that I'm capable and I end up in a really uh, you know, unusual situation, I could kill before I think I'm going to kill. And that would be a problem. So, you know, like in the military, one of the things they do is, you know, you don't put your finger on that trigger until you're ready to kill. You make a note in your mind that you are capable. You don't do it until you're ready. In other words, it's a way of saying you have decision-making authority in your life autonomy. And that exists until somebody takes it away. And there are very few instances where autonomy should be taken away. Now you could argue that there are some, of course, because we as therapists love to live in that gray space. But you have to remember what your capabilities are to make a good decision. Okay. So that's, that's one of those pieces. As we follow that pathway and we go, okay, then uh, yeah, I'm capable of bad. It raises the question of humility and the balance of humility. What's the other side of that uh, equation? When we're talking about creating a, uh, a scale, if you have humility on one side, uh, maybe, maybe confidence, confidence on the other side. It's the idea of like, actually, I do know what I know in this particular category, right? Like I'm not going to pretend or fake humility. I'm going to, I'm going to know what I know. Matter of fact, some would even argue that humility is the knowing what you know and awareness of what you don't. So what's the opposite of that? Uh, knowing what you don't know, and awareness of what you do, right? Like, think about that. If we're looking for a system to follow, that would be a pretty good one. And then we enter, within the process, the possibility that you might not see everything accurately. Now, many of you have been with me for a while, I know that, and I'm going to just put this out to you in this way. If you don't know what you don't know, that falls into this blind spot category, and the only way to figure that out is within relationships. Good, healthy relationships. Well, as we follow this pathway down a little bit further, then we realize, well, then, geez, Luis, I need to know good people. Okay, so if you associate with good people, are they going to be willing to correct you? Because if they're not willing to correct you when you're off track, are they actually good people? I would propose, nope. Not really. Not really. If they are scared to make a correction in you and your life, when you are off of your morals, what you believe and what you stand for, I think you need to take a look at your friendships. Yep. And then once you do that, then you might realize, holy crud, I need different kinds of friends. I need friends who are strong enough to challenge me. I need friends who agree with my morals and I need friends who don't see my morality the same way. In other words, maybe they have a different view. Maybe they look at religion different, at politics different, at love different. They have a different perspective. It's like the three blind people who approach the elephant. They get a different part. They understand it differently. It's not a cutting out of bigots. It's a welcoming in of bigots with understanding that I do not want to become one. It's welcoming them in and saying, I seek to understand I would like to understand how it becomes this so that I don't go down that path. Not so that I can change and fix you because chances are I can't. As a therapist, I know firsthand that I don't change and fix people. What I do is offer them alternative options and they decide they don't like what they've got and they make a different decision. And if I've offered them something that is good and healthy, and it works out for them, and they can repeat it, then they have transformed their life. They've made growth. I don't decide for them. So offering a space at the table for a bigot could actually help us understand bigotry. The pathway that is. I I remember, I remember the first time I sat with somebody. I've spent most of my life, for those of you who don't know, uh, working and protecting children as much as I can, and I I've done an imperfect job. Uh, I have never once attempted to harm a child uh, on purpose, for sure. And I do create discomfort in the therapeutic setting. So I know that uh, you know kids have been uncomfortable because of my challenges to them. Uh, I'm not naive to that stuff. And I know that there are going to be some clients from my past, whether they're kids or adults or families or whatever, that are going to be like, I had a great experience with you. And others that are going to be like, yeah, you left some to be desired. Okay. Setting all of that aside, protecting children is something that I have really tried to do in my life. And I got to tell you, sitting down with somebody who has purposely harmed a child, it's like inviting a bigot. It's like inviting a narcissist. It's like inviting uh, you know, uh, 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 a racist to the table. I have sat at that table and had those conversations of, help me understand how you have become the way that you are. When's the last time you've done that? When's the last time you truly opened your mind and your heart to somebody who sees the world different than you? Did it make you racist? Did it make you narcissistic? Or did it help you understand those things? Did did it help you understand what it means to be trans? you don't have to become the things that you fight against. It's completely unnecessary. But if you don't intentionally invite the right conversation, I propose to you today, you are the problem. I've been the problem. At times, for sure. You have to invite as part of this process, I'm not telling you you have to, as in go do it right now. But if you really want to understand a bigot, you have to sit with one. You can't learn about a bigot from somebody who's not a bigot. You can't learn about narcissism, at least not as well, if you don't invite a narcissist to the table. So you can see it, feel it, and watch it happen right in front of you. The manipulation, the superiority, the poor empathy, or lack of empathy altogether in some situations. You just can't see that unless you invite it to the table to say, hey, look, I, I'm not open to your ways per se, but I am open to the pathway that led you to your ways, so that I can understand it. I think it's the most efficient way. Maybe the most effective way. But it's going to require you to acknowledge your limitations, your fears, your hopes, and what you want from this. And my hope today is that you take this message and you rethink maybe Am I becoming that which I am fighting against? Am I becoming racist? Am I becoming judgmental? Am I becoming narcissistic? Am I becoming a bigot? Am I displaying love or hate? These are questions you should ask yourself. And... Ask other people around you, do I display these things? This is a good exercise that could help, hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping, drive you to make some changes you need to make. Not because of me, but because you explored these things and you figured it out. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we do appreciate you. Please like, and subscribe, listen to the little spiel right after this, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Take a look at the details of our podcast for links to our website and other helpful information.